Welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. It was Thursday, September 28th, 1972, in a grade five classroom. Mrs. Millette was teaching a math lesson when suddenly two 10-year-old boys stood up from their desk and started cheering, yeah, yeah, Everybody was astounded, complexed to the reaction, because especially Mrs. Millette, because she knew these two boys did not enjoy math that much. Why, who are these two, well, who are these two boys that stood randomly um, in grade 10 or grade 10 years old? One's name was Ted, and the other was a guy named Mark. Both Ted and I had sneaked or snuck into the class in that day, transistor radios, with an earpiece running up under our shirt into our ears. We didn't know that each other had done this. And uh, we were listening to the very same radio broadcast together in different parts of the classroom. And you'd be wondering what happened on the radio broadcast that caused these two 10-year-old boys in the middle of a math lesson forget what's going on and stand up and cheer and rejoice. Well, this just happened. Paul Henderson scored the winning goal of that infamous 1972 Canada-Russia series. And I wasn't going to miss it for nothing. And when he scored that goal, I stood up and cheered. (laughs) I got in trouble, but I still stood up and cheered for that. Um, How many of you who are old enough to remember can remember when that happened in your life, where you were? I do. Now, Paul Henderson, he scored many goals. I think I, I I knew him playing for the Maple Leafs, right? Number 19. I'm not sure if he played for the other team, but I knew him growing up playing in the Maple Leafs. Scored many goals, but none of them as important as that one. In fact, if you Google Paul Henderson goal, that's all that comes up. That was the defining moment. And all of Canada, including Ted and I, celebrated that day and many days after and still talk about it today. Now, we started off in the book of Nehemiah, which has been anything but a time of celebration. Anything to jump up and go, Yeah! Rather, it's been a time that's been laden with uh, sorrow and burdens so far. Heavy burdens. But this morning, what I want to do is kind of take you quickly, chapter 2, maybe the chapter 7 and 8, and see how this story unfolds a bit better. And we're going to see how celebration replaces sorrow. And in chapter 7, we find the mission, it's a spoiler alert, but you probably know this, we find the mission of rebuilding these walls has been completed. 52 days. And the city is safe. The people have security. The walls are up. And we read this in Nehemiah 7.1. In a moment, we'll go to Nehemiah 2. But for now, Nehemiah 7.1, after the wall was finished, and I set up the doors and the gates. So it happened. In chapter 7, the walls are up. The city is restored. Beginning of chapter 8, we read this, the very first verse. All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square, just inside the water gate. I didn't realize there was a water gate back then, but apparently there was. What was the unified purpose? Why were they gathering? Well, let's read. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, 
which the Lord had given Israel to obey. And the book of law of Moses then was just was the Bible. It was just the first five books of the Bible. That's all the history that happened. Uh, Genesis, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, and uh, or Numbers and Deuteronomy. And so they, they brought to bring this book. We want to we want to know what God has to say. We want to hear because we have been distant from Him. We have not been following Him, and they hungered to hear from God. So we read this in uh, chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. So on October 8th, I love that they give the date, Ezra the priest brought the Bible, the book of the law, before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. So this was a long service. Just read from Genesis to Deuteronomy. The word of God. And it says, all the people listened closely to the book of the law. Skipping down to verses 5 and 6. Ezra stood on the platform. They actually built a platform for this, even a, in a pulpit. It says, Ezra stood on the platform in full of view of all the people. And when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. There was a deep respect and awe for the word of God. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen. And they lifted their hands, and they bowed down and worshipped the Lord, their faces to the ground. So the book, the Bible was read, and they responded in worship and praise, and a revival broke out. The wall had been rebuilt, but now it's the lives of the people who live within those walls that needed revived. And revival begins with God's people who are in need of an awakening. Revival can be described this way. It's in your notes as well. Christian revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. That's us. It encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God, an appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for His words and His church, a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin. That was Nehemiah chapter 1, remember? When he got this burden, he first said, I confess, I have sinned, we have sinned. That's, that's a prerequisite for revival. A spirit of humility, and a desire for repentance and growth and righteousness. And as you see those words up on the screen before you or in your notes, can you identify any of them which describe you and your relationship with God in an unfavorable way today? I mean, maybe you say dormant. I understand. That's, that's how I feel. Like There's something there, but it needs to come alive. Or maybe it's the word stagnant, which tells us there's nothing moving. It's, it's, it's nothing. Or do you need, maybe as you look at this and, and ask yourself, do you need your love for God to resurface again to a place of honor, of first, of top, of, of, of everything? Do you need and do you want the gratitude for and a recognition of God's holiness to be evident in your life? Do you need to regain again the passion for His church and for His word? Or is there sin? And you know it. And it needs to be confessed. 
and forgiven in your life? If so, what is required is in this definition, a spirit of humility and desire for repentance and growth. You see, there, there could be these justifications that we use to say, why I've been hanging on to, uh, to uh, you know, why am I in the state I am? Why am I living the way I am? Why am I so dry? Why am I dormant? Why am I stagnant? Why am I far from God? We'll argue them. These are the reasons why I'm not drawing close to God. And we justify ourselves. Or perhaps there's excuses you need to bury. Our excuses often have the names of people attached to them. Do you ever find that? And your notes are on the screen. It will give you a chance to do that. It says, I feel I'm not where I am, where I can be, and where I need to be with God because of, and there's a spot there you can put a name or names, what they did to me. So they hurt me. And you tell yourself, that's the reason why I'm not being revived. They are what keeps me broken. And I know, I mean, I've been hurt by people, people in the church. I've been emotionally hurt and financially hurt, but I will not allow them to damage me spiritually. Why? Because what we are doing when we allow these people to, to be our excuse, this is, why I'm, this is why I'm far from God today, and this is the name, these are the names of the people or the circumstances, what we're doing is we allow these people to be, we're giving them power and our life they have no right to have. Why, why would we give them the kind of power that, that keeps us distant from God? By allowing them to be our excuse, we are giving them the power to keep us from experiencing and knowing all that God would want us to know and experience. And I decided in my life, I, I, I you know, that can't be, that can't be a part of me. They can't have that part of me. I will not give it to them. And so I made the hard choice to forgive more than once sometimes, and they no longer hold me back. And God provides and God sustains. But the temptation is, what we want to do is blame them. And what we've been learning about is, even though there is a right reason to be, to, to be hurt and justified by that hurt, I must take personal responsibility for my spiritual condition. That means I need to confess sin where there is sin. So Nehemiah did. And forgive where forgiveness needs to be given. And the time has come where we then have to kick out those excuses that we've been hanging on, that we've allowed to take residence up in our life and have this power over us and invite God back in. Christian revival refers to a spiritual reawakening from a state of dormancy or stagnation in the life of a believer. It encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God, an appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for His Word and His church, a convicting awareness of a personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility, and a desire for repentance. I want to change. I need to change and growth in His righteousness. And I know, and you know, and God certainly knows, you have that desire to change stagnancy to, into something celebratory in your walk. You desire restoration. You desire to grow in God's righteousness. And I don't think you'd be here today if you didn't. We wouldn't be watching online if you didn't. 
and to be revived and restored is just this one simple but sincere decision away. It's called repentance. You ever notice the English language when we put the prefix, prefix we or re, R-E in front of something? It means again. We say renew, right? Redo, regain. But in the context of our relationship with God, we need to rebuild, be revived, and be restored. And there's always next steps. In fact, uh, it just happens today. This is great timing. But then plan it this way. We have a new life group happening straight through these doors, straight through into the boardroom on character and abide. And that's a chance for you to say, you know what? I want to take a next step, not just hear this, but step into community, to accountability, and to getting to know people and know, hear from God about my character. And you, get, you can just go for this week. There's no, don't say, oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to lock myself in. Just go for this Sunday if you're not in a life group right through those doors of the boardroom after the service. They'll be waiting for you, ready for you. Or after the service, I think, you know, I'm, gonna do? I'm gonna just going to come down and pray here. I'm going to sit at this table, and I'm going to pray. If you want to pray, if you need to be prayed with, I'm going to be here. Those are next steps. That's a response to what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling. I, you know, I've always wanted to see what happened in Nehemiah chapter 8, a, a re- revival. I've always wanted to experience that and see that in my lifetime. And I've read about them, I've studied them, uh, and I've never seen one until now. You know, we are seeing this very thing happening, what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8, in our world today, even as you and I meet here right now, this Sunday morning. It's called the Asbury Revival. We're going to see a little bit in a second. But a revival spontaneously broke out among the students on Asburn University, a Christian college in Wilmore, Kentucky. And it was during required chapel service last February 8th. Today's the 19th, right? Last February 8th, students heard a sermon about God's love, preached in Romans 12. I watched the sermon, the very sermon that was preached. And afterwards, some young people lingered around to pray, had to pray, couldn't just rush away. They took the next steps and they prayed, they shared testimonies, and their life was revived, renewed. And since that day on February 8th, students and people have been gathering in this chapel building 24-7. That's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, experiencing God's presence. They have been confessing sin. They've been repenting from sin. They're worshiping God. They're sharing testimonies. They're sharing their encounters with Jesus, the risen Lord. And they're hungering for more of God in their life. And that's been going 24 hours a day. Some, I even got up at 4 in the morning to see what it was like. When, and it was, there's people there praising Worshiping God. And it's led by students, not faculty, not ministers. The students had this hunger and cried out. And now it's spreading to other universities and other places. In fact, we can see, I asked them to, to queue up just even right now at this very moment what's happening down at Asbury Chapel. We'll just watch for a second. It'll be on YouTube here. You can see what's happening. There it is. It's a Outside the building, three hours long, four hours long. And I've opened up other places around the whole people. 
And they're saying that God is not limited by a building. The revival's spreading. So don't feel like you have to be there. We've experienced that wherever we are. We make the same simple decisions that those students do, that Nehemiah do, and people in our chapter. Isn't that great? Thanks, Obama. That's happening right now. That's what's going on right now. I love that we live in a day that I can look in and see what's happening down in Chapel in Kentucky. So chapter 7, we're just skipped ahead a bit. The walls are completed. Chapter 8, all the people assembled together, the unified purpose, and revival breaks out. They hear God's word being read. They respond in worship. They respond in repentance. They pray to him, and they're sad because they're aware of their sin. They're aware of how they disobeyed God, and they're sad for that disobedience. But we pick up the story in verse 11 of chapter 8. It's Nehemiah continued, no, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, the ministers that day too, quieted the people telling them, shh, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and what? To celebrate with great joy. Why? Because they've heard God's word and they understood it. And they responded to it. It's just like, okay, I heard it. No, they heard it and had to do something in response. And the result of hearing and understanding God's word is that they had joy. It gave them reason to celebrate. And the people were sad because they were aware of their sin. But Nehemiah said, no, God is greater than your sin. He, he can remove your sin. He can save you from your sin. You can be set free from your sin and all of its consequences. You can have eternal life instead of eternal death. That's reason to celebrate. So let's celebrate. We can still do that today. These sort of celebrations and revivals are born out of great need for God, a hunger for God. They're born out of a great need to rebuild and to be restored and to be revived. Going back to Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we left off last week and where we find that Nehemiah is in a ruined city. He made the trip from Persia to Jerusalem. He's in a ruined city where ruined people live. The city has been destroyed. The people are far from God. And the broken walls are so symbolic of their lives. They are as broken and in ruins as their walls are. And today we'll pick up the story where we left off last week. Understanding where it's going, chapter 7 and 8. Let's go back to chapter 2. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bibles and read along with me. I always want to read a passage. Um, from our words, so just get us in the practice of bringing the Bible, looking at the Bible, opening up the Bible. If we're not in the practice, sometimes the Bible can just sit there and not be moved in days or weeks. So it gives us the opportunity to grab the word, come to church, and, and read together. So Nehemiah chapter 2, 11 to 16. <clears throat> so Nehemiah, he's left Persia. He arrives in Jerusalem, verse 11. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. Verse 13. After dark, I went out through the valley gate. By the way, I just noticed today when I was going over this, the valley gate, we are the gate on valleyway. 
I know I never picked up that before. I was going over my message this morning early, and I just realized, wow, there's a connection there I never saw before. So maybe God's speaking to us. I lost my spot. That's okay. Verse 13. After dark, I went through the valley way at the gate, <laughs> past the Jekyll's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burnt gates. Then I went to the fountain gate to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kindred Valley. Instead of inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there for what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone in the administration. But now, see, now, after that time of mourning, praying and fasting for months, getting the king's permission to go, waiting for three days, inspecting everything, but now, I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told him about the gracious hand of God had been on me, how the gracious hand of God had been on me, and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. So the very first thing Nehemiah does when he comes to Jerusalem was what? He waited. You think after all this time, you couldn't wait to get up there and do, 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 do. But he waited. He, he waited three days before he did anything. And after three days, he went out under the cover of darkness at night, not drawing attention to himself and what he, why he was there. He wanted to know firsthand, see the conditions that, that, that were before him, that was facing him, before he was going to give a vision to the people, a call to the people. He said, I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart. And what, ne what Nehemiah was doing is so important for us today in leadership, and we'll see even our own life. He did, he, what he did was he investigated before you initiate. You investigate before you initiate. There's usually some background, context, or work that needs to be done and understood before you share your vision at large. And Nehemiah wanted to understand firsthand what needed to be done. He wanted to be able to speak from seeing it himself and share the vision to rebuild the people and the walls. You know, vision is one of those things that we love to, uh, we're tempted to, um, just kind of write down something that sounds good. Like, I like the way this sounds. Let me put it up on the wall. But vision needs to be born out of the need and context and understanding the conditions, identifying with the need. I remember um, once I went to a church to interview, and I did end up going to that church. On Friday, I think I might have met with the board Friday night, and then Saturday night, they invited the congregation to come and ask questions of me, like the whole congregation. I'll never forget, somebody asked me this question on the Saturday night. What is your vision for this church? And I said, I don't have one. Kind of stunned them. I said, how, how, like, how could I have a vision for this church I just arrived to 24 hours ago? I would be doing you a disservice saying something, sound, give you something that sounds good and, and right and, and they think you put up on the wall and, and, and I might impress you, but I'd be wrong. I could be wrong. 
I need to understand the context of this church and this community. I need to spend time hearing from God. Because not every church is the same. Not every context is the same. I could impress you. People who, who want to know God's vision, spend time investigating. Not worry, like the temptation is to impress right now, but investigate before you initiate. What they're doing is always think through where they're headed, and so they search privately before they search publicly. Nehemiah went out secretly, he said, at night to examine firsthand the conditions. He's heard about it. He, you know, he, had a, he had an understanding of what's happened. He heard from his brother and friends, but he needed to see it and know it and establish this plan before he shared it with everybody. As he stood among the ruins, it was no longer a question of what needs to be done. This is my favorite part. Not what, but rather the question was how. How do we do this? That's what a vision is. A mission says what? A vision says this is how we're going to do it. And that's where restoration and revival begins in your life too. We just talked about it. You begin to search privately in your own life and understand its true condition. You kick out the excuses that we all have. Remove the blame that we all want to hold on to. We acknowledge what is broken in my life. We see the ruins and we ask God, okay, Lord, how? How can you restore what is broken in my life? You have, a, you have this vision, this, this desire for renewal, but you wonder how these ruins could ever be restored. You, you wonder how can this broken place in my life ever be revived? And here's what you need to know. This line is my favorite. How is never a problem for God. You got to remember that. In fact, you know what? I had Dave Gagne, our marketing associate pastor, extraordinaire, they got bookmarks, and Glenda and some people can hand them out to you right now, because I want you to remember this. Just go around the tables and hand them out to people. It's a bookmark that says, how is never too big for God. It's never a problem for God. Because we, like we, we, when we can understand the what, and it's the how that scares us. I don't know how that church can be turned around. I don't know how my life can be turned around. I don't know how that relationship can be restored. I don't know how this could ever be fixed. How is never too big or a problem for God. Because what God originates, he orchestrates. If he says, this is my vision, this is the what I want to see done, then he will make sure he'll orchestrate the how. For example, think about this in the Bible. The angel Gabriel shows up, appears to the young teenage girl named Mary and says, hey, you're going to give birth to the son and he'll be the savior of the world. This is the what. But Mary understood the what. When she asked the question any of us would ask, she said, she asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel explained that she would become, the Holy Spirit would come on her and she'd give birth. And then Gabriel said this truth, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. How is never too big or a problem for God? Moses, you know, he knew what to do. Go to Egypt, lead the people out of slavery into a promised land. He knew what, but the how is what he had to trust God for, right? How am I going to do that? 
God provided pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, caused food to show up, part of the Red Sea, gave him, he took care of the house if we would just faithfully follow and trust him. When Jesus told the disciples to feed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fishes, that, they knew what had to be done. Were they responsible for how? No, they were responsible just to respond in faith. Jesus said, go and give this food to the people. They, could do, they did what they could do. And Jesus took care of the how. Five loaves, two fish fed thousands of people with leftovers. Once, or at least with God's vision, the question of how should never be an obstacle. Rather, it is simply an opportunity for God to do what he does so well, the impossible. Once God had laid a vision before us, once he gives us the what, our responsibility is to do to what we know we've been called to do and wait for God to fill in the blanks. You see, God's vision keeps us focused upon God. The vision reminds us of our dependency upon God because we know if God doesn't take care of the how, there is no moving forward. And at the gate, we're all about moving forward. How is never a problem for God. How is never too big for God. God, how is God's specialty? And because we know this to be true, we move forward with great expectancy because God will always orchestrate what he originates or puts in the plan. So we need revival in our lives. We need revival in our churches. We need revival in our country. This is the what. That's what's needed. And God right now during these days is moving. He really is. I sense that. I see that. I hear that. We, we, we saw the Asbury uh, revival happening right now since February 8th. People coming, driving, and it's spreading. We, you know, if some of you watch The Chosen, amazing, amazing on TV. This is the best, my favorite show. I told you I confess, and I like it more than football and baseball. I'm going record. The Chosen moves me. The story about Jesus is done so well. It helps me. God is on the move. And if this isn't enough, I just yesterday found out there's a major movie coming out next Friday called Jesus Revolution. Have you heard of this? Jesus Revolution is based upon the true story of Pastor Greg Laurie, who um, I've sat under his teaching. I definitely looked at a lot of his teaching. I even heard him speak a couple of times once for Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. Glenn and I are very familiar with Greg Laurie. And there's a story coming out based on his life and a pastor called Chuck Smith, who died, I think, in 2014, who was pastoring a small, struggling church and how God moved among that church through uh, hippies who had a need and a hunger for God. The part of Greg Laurie is played by Jonathan Rumi, who is Jesus and the Chosen. And the part of, of the pastor, Chuck Smith, is played by Kelsey Grammer from Frasier. And I, I had to look into the story. I want to make sure it was real, not just a Hollywood thing, and that Greg Laurie was doing it. And uh, the same people put out, I will only imagine doing the movie. I knew it would be legitimate. But I found that Kelly, Kelly, Kelsey Grammer was saying, sharing how he was struggling one night. 
in his life. And, and he stayed up the whole night and he's calling out to God for a sign. Later that morning, I'm calling for God. He said, I, I need something. The next day, he received the script for this movie. And he believed this was a sign from God about his life. And he spoke about the movie just, I think, four days ago on a television interview. I just want to show that. It's a very short clip, but just watch how it's affected him in his life. It's a nice movie. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Really I mean, yeah. I, you're tearing up. Yeah. I see you getting emotional. <laughs> what, are, what are you feeling? <laughs> Can I play doctor? Um, yes, of course. Um, I, I, I love this movie. I really love it. And when, my, when we first saw the first cut, uh, sat down in our home and, and Kate saw it. She said, oh my God, it's the best thing you've ever done. She started crying. <laughs> but uh, he's... Uh, He's a man looking for his own faith and finds it as well. Uh, a man whose church is empty and he can't get uh, traction and he's starting to think he's going to be fired from his job as a pastor. And uh, uh, this hippie comes into his life and he finds a new purpose and uh, started a movement that is still still going. So I mean, it's extraordinary. Story. Yeah, it's a true story. You're Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith is uh, the yeah. guy I played. He died in uh, 2014, I think. But uh, the number of people who came up uh, and said, oh, you're playing Chuck Smith. Oh, I, I listen to him all the time. Or uh, and they say, uh, he's, uh, he, ma he married us. Or uh, I was baptized by Chuck Smith. Uh, you can see this light in their eyes. And... Yeah, he, every time I hear him talk about it, he's moved. So I, it's, just, it's just great to see. And revival broke out in that church. Watch, go home and watch the trailer, Jesus Revolution. And... If it's up in Canada, if it comes out on the uh, next Friday, I'm going. So if you want to go for a date, give me a call. i got to see it. I'll bring my wife. <laughs> but we can double, triple, quadruple date together. Um, and then, you know, so there's, there's the chosen, which in itself is, is just changing lives. There's this Asbury revival. God's just saying, now's the time. There's this movie coming out. The timing of that, the Jesus Revolution, uh, is such a great thing. And then even in Super Bowl, if we could watch the American channels, they had, the, uh, they had the Jesus Gets Us commercials, if you will. You couldn't see that in Canada. But they shared these commercials about Jesus. I just feel like God's saying, okay, this is the time. I'm giving you a chance to get your life right. I want you to repent. I want you to hear from me. I want you to cry out to me. I want, I love you so much. Will you run to me? Will, my arms are open. I will accept you, but I need you to initiate it because I don't want to force you. It has to be your decision. That's what love is. It gives you that decision. God is on the move. Are you moving with him? I, it just would not surprise me that, he would, that Jesus would come back soon. I mean, we, we know it's soon. We know people say it's really soon. But I don't know why is this all happening right now. There's a reason for it. Let me finish up today with Nehemiah. One more section from Nehemiah chapter 2. Verse 17. So Nehemiah, but now I said to them, we read this, you know, very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. I told them how, about how the gracious hand of God was on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let us rebuild the wall. So they began. That's what it's about. So you begin. Yes, things are in ruins. I know, but I'm not responding. I understand, 
but I'm not wanting to be revived or restored. At some point, and I believe this is a point in our history, I believe these things aren't coincidence, God saying, it's time to begin the good work. And that you're not here by accident today. You're not watching by accident today. The success of Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8. The walls are completed. Revival breaks out. It's possible because what happened in chapters 1 and 2. Praying, fasting, confessing, seizing the opportunity, all those things we talked about was made chapter 7 and 8 possible. I want to end with this verse. It's been a verse that Glenda raised up in prayer, or prayer start a few weeks ago. And it keeps coming up again. From Isaiah 43, 19, I'm claiming this is our promise. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And, you know, you and I, we look at the ruins or the wasteland around us. We wonder, how? How, God? He says, I will create rivers where everything seems dry. I can do that. I can refresh dry land. Or if you feel you don't have direction, it's like a wasteland, I, I, can, give, I can make a pathway through that wilderness that you're facing. So I want to end with this question the Bible asks. God says, for I'm about to do a new thing. I really believe that. I sense that. See, I've already begun. I believe that. But the question is, do you not see it? Do you not see it? Don't miss it. Don't miss it. God, it's not an accident that um, we are in this part of Nehemiah. It's not an accident that we're in church today and watching this service at home. It's not an accident, God, that these things are happening. The Chosen, which has been so successful, has changed many lives, to sharing the Bible, sharing your story. The Super Bowl commercial is what Jesus gets us and loves us. This revival is even happening still, God. Throughout the hours of morning and night, all day, just worshiping and praying and confessing and giving testimonies and worshiping you, God. For the timing of this movie, of Greg Laurie, God, I, I appreciate that man and, and his ministry and that his story is coming to a big screen. And God, that you use that. It's obviously affected one actor that cried out to you. Lord, may affect many others. And here we are today, God. And you say you're doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Lord, if you find hearts cold, Lord, I pray. I pray that we, we would warm them up to hear from you. If you find our hearts cold and dark and like stone, oh, Father, let our hearts be warm and open and light and soft that we can perceive what you're doing and we'd be ready and prepared and we would live that abundant life and live with you for eternity, God. We know what. It's the how. So Lord, we're going to trust you for that. Day by day, through every struggle and storm, we're going to trust you that you will get us through, sustain us, and pray in Jesus' name.
thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.